This episode is brought to you by Thorn, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements... The tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the products do what they say they're going to do on the label. And then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now, Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s, where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. This episode is sponsored by GovX, a company I've used for several years now and wish I'd used for even longer. If you are a member of police, fire, EMS, corrections, nursing, a hospital setting doctor and members of the military and you are not registered with GovX, you are simply wasting your money. A free registration with GovX marries you with a multitude of companies that are offering our professions discount. So by registering at GovX.com for free, you will then have a lifetime membership and you can shop for the very same things and save money. I've saved a huge amount of money buying sunglasses, I've bought knives, I've bought clothes, and even concert tickets on there. Another area I love about this company is GovX Gives Back, where they will raise money for different foundations every single month. And with this being September, they have a 9-11 memorial patch that raises money for firefighter aid. So if you're active duty, if you are retired, or if you're a volunteer, you are eligible for this membership. And on top of the savings that you will get by being a member, GovX is reaching out to you, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, to offer you an extra discount. If you spend 50, that's five zero dollars on your first order and use the code SHIELD, S-H-I-E-L-D, you will save an additional $15. So $15 off your first order of $50. So visit govx.com, G-O-V-X.com, register and then be a member for life and continue to save over and over again. Welcome to episode 359 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week I'm extremely excited to welcome on the show 
Chief Todd LeDuc. Now, Todd has been immersed in the health and wellness space in the fire service for many, many years in multiple organizations. So we explore a host of topics from his journey through the fire service, the mental and physical toll of shift work, annual fitness testing, annual physicals, and what those annual physicals should look like. So he has recently started working with the company LifeScan, who I myself have gone through their process and was extremely impressed so we discuss the services that they offer as well. Before we get to that conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Each five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast and makes it more visible for people looking for a project like this. And this is a free library for you, the audience, whether individually, organizationally. So all I ask in return is that you pay it forward and help share these amazing men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth that needs to hear them. And as one extra resource for you, I did just release my book, One More Light, Life, Death, and Humanity Through the Eyes of a Firefighter, which is available on all of the Amazons around the world. So with that being said, I introduce to you Chief Todd LeDuc. Enjoy. So Todd, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Absolutely. It's uh, it's really my uh, honor and a special treat. Um, thank you for the invitation and I, I look forward to uh, spending some time with you uh, talking about firefighter health and wellness and safety. Absolutely. Well, your perspective is going to be invaluable for someone that's really been immersed in our profession specifically. Um, where on planet Earth are we finding you today? I am uh, I'm in South Florida. So I uh, um, work from work from the house in Boca Raton, uh, Florida, and we've got some beautiful weather down here. A little bit cooler for the first day of autumn, so uh, um, just a gorgeous, gorgeous uh, South Florida day. So we're glad to glad to be joining you. Beautiful. Well, as a right off the bat segue before we go into your early life. Boca is famous in Florida for being the only department, as far as I'm aware, that does 24-72. Have you talked to any of their leadership as to how they were able to implement that? Uh, I Not in, in particular. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the issue, uh, as you know, in, in the fire service of uh, uh, shift schedule, and in particular um, with regards to impacts on firefighter health and wellness is is an area that uh, really we've just scratched the surface on, I think, in terms of the, the research that's been done. So uh, um, it's that's a, a great uh, question. I, I think, like I said, there's uh, such a variety of, of uh, shift schedules within our profession. And, and obviously, with 70% of the service being volunteer, that's another, um, another uh, dynamic that is to be considered and um, really the, the issue of uh, sleep and shift uh, cycle and uh, uh, wellness, total worker wellness is, is one that's just really emerging. Um, and there's so many variables with it as well, right? Depending on call volume and 
um, demand, system demand of stations, even within, you know, a particular station, Boker included, um, you know, some stem stations have higher demand and um, that takes a, a toll more than, than other stations that have uh, not, not quite so much demand. So it's, it's even in trust system um, has a lot of complexities. So uh, great, great question to start with. And uh, it's certainly sleep is, I, uh, we do know is so interrelated to so much of our, our health and wellness and uh, whether it's cancer or cardiac behavioral health. So it's, it's in a certainly emerging um, area for for further research. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll definitely explore that a little bit further as we go on. Um, but I'd love to start chronologically. So, where were you born? And then tell me about your family dynamic, what your parents did, and how many siblings. Sure. So I was uh, born in in uh, Massachusetts, and uh, it's an only child. And my uh, um, parents were, my dad worked for many years for, um, IBM as a, uh, um, service engineer and systems planner. Um, my mother, um, was a, was a homemaker and then, uh, uh had a career in, in real estate and, uh, uh, spent, um, the early, early half of my life up in, uh, New England, went to uh, college prep in New Hampshire, um, did my EMT training at uh, um, at a young age, very young age. I was 16 when I finished uh, EMT school and uh, had to wait um, because the state wouldn't allow you to sit for the uh, state licensing exam in Massachusetts until age 18. So I I did a lot of ride-alongs and volunteering, but wasn't able to get certified till 18. And then um, I went to uh, Northeastern University uh, in Boston and uh, uh, started with both a political science uh, um, study and then ultimately did uh, my paramedic uh, training at Northeastern. Um, before I, I like to tell the story, my parents had relocated down to Boca Raton for uh, uh, my dad relocating with uh, IBM for their plant down here, but uh, um, working EMS in uh, in the Northeast, I, I joke that I had one Northeast or too many, and uh, two, two feet of snow piled up and chains on the uh, medic tires and uh, decided it was time to head south. So I, I relocated down to South Florida uh, um, in late 80s, early 1990. Very cool. Yeah, I can relate leaving England. <laughs> I love my country, but it was just great. It was just, you know, the, the sunshine down here. You wake up every day and it's kind of like a, you know, an ins inspirational quote every morning when you open the window. So it really is. <laughs> um, well, touching on a point, I've, I've met some people, you know, not so much even on the show, but just that through social media. And some of them are very, very young firefighters. There's one young man who actually lost two firefighters in, you know, a fatal fire, um, as a 16 year old volunteer. So you can imagine the impact that he had, you know, that had on him. Um, do you, when you look back, do you recall anything that kind of shook you as a, as a young, young man entering our field? Um, yeah, I, cer I certainly do. Um, you know, probably the one that, uh, sticks out, um, in my mind most vividly um, was a, uh, uh, a fatal um, vehicular accident, a rollover um, with a, uh, uh, a driver that had actually been out 
celebrating his uh, engagement, I guess, his uh, at a at a bachelor party and uh, had uh, rolled his, I believe it was a Jeep, um, and and had a uh, um, had uh, injuries that were not compatible with with life and. Uh, um, you know, just, just seeing what that looked like. Um, and, and again, I, at the time, I think I was doing a ride along, um, that, that, uh, everything about that, whether it was, you know, uh, seeing the, the carnage of the, the vehicle, seeing, um, the, uh, the damage to a human body, um, and ultimately seeing death, you know, really for the first time that traumatically, um, and obviously, um, you know, I, I know we're going to talk about behavioral health, uh, during today's podcast, but, uh, um, you know, those, those repetitive type traumas, um, they add up over, you know, a career. So I, um, spent 34 years in the service, um, before retiring just last year, um, from Broward County. Um, but any, anyone that's in this business for any length of time, as you know, um, it is going to have, you know, those sights, sounds, images that uh, I, I say all the time I wouldn't wish upon anyone to have to see some of the things that first responders do see and will see and we, we know they're going to see. Um, so we, we have to be cognizant of that and, and make sure we, we have behavioral resources in place um, to maintain wellness despite um, some of the occupational exposures that we're, we're bound to have. Yeah, well, exactly. And you mentioned, you know, the 70% being volunteers. I mean, that's another huge group that we need to try and, you know, catch in the net because in our professional department, especially progressive one, I would assume that Broward is probably, you know, further towards the front when it comes to that. All the men and women under your umbrella, you know, are going to be taken care of in that element. However, you know, we've got these young men and young women that you know, respond to their friends and family and these horrendous, you know, incidents in their towns and then just go back to work. So I think as as a profession, we have so much more to do to take care of the people that have volunteered to respond to tragedies like that. And and you're absolutely right. I, I, I'm sure you see, as do I, over the course of my career, um, you know, when I started, um, no one was talking about behavioral health. It wasn't even on the radar screen. Um uh, today we we have um, you know I think a, a healthy amount of um, effort nationally um, that has been put forth whether that's by uh, the National Volunteer Fire Council and their Share the Load program whether that's the uh, uh, International uh, Fire Chiefs or the IFF uh, uh, National Fallen Firefighters Foundation there's a there's really a lot more not only dialogue about behavioral health and wellness, um, but there's a lot more resources that are out there today. Um, so for the for the volunteers that are listening, uh, National Volunteer Fire Council has a tremendous amount of resources uh, available for behavioral support. So I, I would encourage everyone, if they're not familiar, um, e- each of those groups I mentioned have resources on their website that uh, Really, it's it's important uh, to to be familiar with them, and if you're in a leadership position, to make sure that um, your troops have access to them and and uh, know about them uh, ahead ahead of needing them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, getting back to your earlier life, you know, we're going to talk about wellness. Um, were you an athlete? Did you do a lot of sports when you were younger? Um, I played 
I played uh, baseball throughout uh, school, little league, and um, basketball as as well. I did uh, uh, running um, as well. So I, I would say uh, I, I tried to stay active. I was uh, active uh, in, in organized sports, and um, I guess when I get into uh, college prep, my uh, my sport kind of shifted from physical to intellectual, and I, I was very immersed in uh, um, high school debate teams. So, uh, um, but I but I always did try to maintain um, a, a physical activity, even even to this day. I you know try to practice what I preach, and um, you know do five to six miles a day of cardio, and uh, um, you know it's so important, especially especially for you know first responders, as you know. Um, the rigors and demands that are that are placed on us um, in the in the functions of our of our job, uh, the essential support functions that we have to provide um, require us to to have that high level of fitness. And if if we don't, uh, bad things happen. So it's it's something that we have to make a commitment to, uh, starting from the, the earliest stages and maintain it throughout our entire career. Absolutely. Well, we were talking before we started recording. This is actually a good segue to put it in now. So you, the biggest thing you, that I just heard you say was that you still do it. So you lead from the front when it comes to your own wellness. Um, one of the departments I work for, Orange County, um, when I first got there, it was Chief Plogger and he had implemented a great wellness initiative. Then another chief, Chief Droads, who I'd worked with, um, or under, should I say, in Hialeah and then in Orange County, he basically built upon that. And, and we had the 343 Hero Challenge, which is a very well-known event that's a fundraiser for um, Firefighter Cancer Network and some of the other organizations. Um, they had an annual iPad test. It wasn't punitive, but they had that test. They had a wellness truck that went around every other year. Um, and Chief Plogger, I mean, excuse me, Chief Droves was actually ousted, basically is the only way to describe it. Um, and now, without naming names, from what I understand, the wellness program has been dismantled. The iPad, the you know, the annual testing and that has gone away. And the, the Fitbit, this beautiful facility they had for any firefighter to visit and go work out, and which both of both of those chiefs used to, has been closed down. So, um, what is your perspective, being you know all the way through the ranks um, and understanding wellness and being an advocate for for all elements of wellness? What is your philosophy on the importance of a wellness program and adding on to that, the importance of that chief leading from the front and maintaining their own wellness as well? Yeah, that, that's a great um, question. And, and uh, uh, Chief Droz is a, is a dear friend of mine and a, a colleague. We serve together uh, on the board of directors at the, the International Association of Fire Chiefs and uh, uh, he's also a, a customer of ours at uh, my my current position, which is a uh, chief strategy officer for LifeScan Wellness Centers. We do uh, all of his department's annual uh, firefighter physicals. But um, listen, make make no mistake about it. From my perspective, the, there there is no greater responsibility of a, of a leader or uh, and a chief. Then to um, taking care of the the health, wellness, and survival um, of those that you are leading um, or serving. Um, you know, I I'm fond of saying that we we wouldn't hopefully never think of um, not doing preventative maintenance on our apparatus. That would be a formula for tragic 
um, events and, and outcomes. Um, so we seem to be in most departments pretty good about uh, adhering to regular preventative maintenance and being proactive with keeping our our uh, apparatus and our equipment in in ready working order. Um, and, and we certainly need to prioritize that when it comes to our um, our members that are that are serving. And you know, I had a wise chief tell me if you don't have healthy firefighters um you don't have a fire department and there's there's a lot to be said for that um so it it really um in my mind there is no greater responsibility than to assuring that uh, um the members have all the resources they need um that being um not only education and awareness but uh, uh facilities and and support and uh, uh, everything to to reduce the occupational health risk that we know um, first responders and firefighters um, are facing and are gonna face. I mean, inherently, um, this is this job has inherent dangers. Um, we we work to you know whether it's on cancer or cardiac or behavior, we work to mitigate those um, to the extent we can. Um, but that's that's a constant ongoing effort, and it only starts by prioritizing um, health and wellness as a critical component to um, the foundation of any department. And um, I, I know that's kind of a high level um, answer without you know drilling down, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I'm, I'm happy to drill down as well. But um, I, I can't, you know, I, it may sound passionate about it um, because I am. I mean, we look at. Uh, um, just really, really any department and, and, uh, um, it, we have to invest in our people. I don't know any other way to say it. And, uh, um, you know, now I, I just alluded to him in the, the chief strategy officer for a company that sees about 50,000 first responders across the country for their annual, um, occupational physical exams. Um, and relatively, it's a very modest cost to provide a firefighter an annual physical. Um, but I can't tell you how many, you know, we still have nationally. Um, I think the last study that the IFC did at the National Association of Fire Chiefs showed about 20% of career departments still were, um, were not providing an annual firefighter physicals. And that number was higher in the volunteer um, ranks. I think the number was closer to 40% in volunteers. So we, we need to, um, I get there's a cost associated with everything, um, but there's there's no greater cost than the health, wellness, and survival of our of our firefighters. I mean, National Fallen Firefighters, uh, you know, has the slogan that uh, everyone goes home. Um, and, and we need to practice that in, in uh, actions daily to make sure that uh, that's not just a slogan. No, absolutely. And we have to question things too. I got, I got an email today from, as Paul Combs would say, fan mail. Um, if anyone knows his yes. work, <laughs> they're familiar with what kind of message that is. And it started nice. He kind of shook my hand before he spat in my face, but basically was saying that I'd been corrupted by American politics because I talked ill of the president. Now, the reality is, I think that our political system is completely broken and the people that we're put like this perfect example, this latest one, out of 330 million people, if those are the two best that we've got, then I question the system that brings that up. But my my point is, is that it, this all comes from caring about American lives. And so you can look back 
you know, 30, 40 years of left and right presidents that have seen the drug epidemic, the, the mental health issues, the obesity crisis, and none of them fixed it. So it's not about the individual. It's about the fact that when do we question, whether it's within a fire department, whether it's in a union, whether it's a political party, whether it's a local government, when, when you can't talk, you can't challenge a system without someone getting offended. That's how people keep dying. You have to have the guts to say, this isn't working in our department. This you know, chief, either you need to start changing things or we need a different chief. Because if your policy is not protecting the members, whether it's within the fire department, whether it's nationally, and people are dying because of your um, complacency, that to me is completely unacceptable. Yeah, sir. I certainly, you know, transparency is such a, uh, um, you know, it's it's so important from my perspective. Um, I, you know, with with uh, whether we're talking about firefighter, you know, health, wellness, safety, operations, um, the the more minds you have around the table looking at it, um, you know, typically um, you have a better outcome when the the process is inclusive and. You know, I look in departments I've worked uh, worked in, and and also, you know, I've I've done consulting for fire departments for the last uh, three decades across the not only country but internationally. Um, you know, those that just have a participatory um, approach to leadership um, typically, you know, have a have a great outcome and great you know environment where people are um, engaged, embracing, um, you know, forward leaning and best practices. So I, I couldn't agree more. Right. Well, um, you mentioned working for Broward County. I know that's a very interesting department in Florida because correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's a, a merger of law enforcement and fire. Is that correct? It, it is. It's got uh, quite a colorful history and, uh, uh, but, but today it's, uh, I believe one of only two, uh, I think Walton County and the Panhandle is the other um, fire departments that operate under the the county um, elected sheriff. Yeah, so I've heard you know some people just and again I'm not very well versed when it comes to the in and outs of of fire service you know upper echelon politics, but I have heard people say when you have an elected official sheriff at the head you know, at the helm that it gives you more power when it comes to budget. We're asking for equipment. We're trying to push incentives. So you said about the history. Can, if you wouldn't mind, kind of walk me through the history of Broward County and, and you know what you perceive some of the pros of that system have been through your experience. When I, when I first was, uh, was hired by Broward County in 1990, um, there was uh, actually – two separate entities, uh, Broward EMS, which was the county, um, it was a third service uh, paramedic um, operation that served most of Broward County, um, a large portion which was uh, unincorporated. And then um, there was Broward County uh, Fire Department. Um, shortly thereafter, when uh, I joined the, the, uh, the two entities, merged together forming Broward County Fire Rescue and that was you know in the early 1990s um, all all, um, all the individuals from each department that, that was then merged uh, cross-trained for the most part um, the fire side is paramedics and the paramedics says uh, uh, one through fire academy um, and, and then uh, over over the next decade or so, much of the county um, 
uncorporated area was annexed into municipalities. So uh, the service area really uh, shrunk for the county fire department. And uh, uh, there was a study commissioned uh, in the late 1990s, early 2000 by Tridata Corporation by the county commission and really looked at um, re-engineering the county fire department, uh, focusing on uh, countywide services, focusing on um, supporting municipal departments. Um, and part of that study also looked at, uh, at the time, um, the sheriff, uh, Ken Jenny, had been very successful on the law enforcement side um, with a business model that, that uh, included uh, uh, offering municipalities to contract out their, their law enforcement services uh, to the sheriff's office. So the sheriff you know, served uh, probably 14 or so of the 30 cities uh, as the hometown police department. Uh, from the city standpoint, they would send a check once a month for uh, the contract price, and then the sheriff's office would handle day-to-day -day operations, contract negotiations, employee issues. Um, so it was relatively seamless. So uh, um, at, at some point, there was uh, uh, much dialogue and, and discussion between our labor organization, the sheriff at the time, the county commission, and, and ultimately... Um, in 2001, the Board of County Commissioners voted um, with the support of the labor organization and the rank and file in the, in the sheriff um, to transfer by contract the county fire department under um, then Sheriff Ken Jenny. Um, and, uh, you know, oftentimes I'll get, you know, strange looks when people hear that uh, Broward County is, is under a sheriff. Um, and, and I really explain it this way is, is many major metropolitan cities have, uh, have a police commissioner or a fire commissioner and, and really the sheriff kind of acts as, as a public safety commissioner. And, uh, so there's a, a colonel that oversees law enforcement. There's a, a colonel that oversees the jails. Broward runs a very large, one of the largest jail systems in the country, um, a fire chief that oversees the fire department, and then um, typically a, a uniform personnel uh, that oversees all the administrative and support services functions, human resources, uh, risk management, fleet, um, all the things that you need to run uh, a public safety agencies. So it, um, it, it, you know, the, the department has grown under the sheriff's office. I believe they're up to nine cities now that they serve out of the 30 or 31, um, including, uh, in addition to that, the uh, international airport and international seaport. And then, um, you know, they support uh, the municipal fire departments with um, countywide uh, services. So uh, urban search and rescue and uh, technical rescue teams, hazardous materials, uh, response team, uh, air rescue, um, helicopter, um, uh, tactical SWAT medics. Um, so really, really a, kind of a, um, a mix between a traditional municipal fire services and then um, what, what are called regional services that are countywide. Um, so it's, uh, it, it, is, it is unique. Um, 
you know, there's not a lot of animals that look like this across the country, but uh, uh, it, it works um, the way it has been structured. And uh, I guess 2001, there'll be 20, 20 years next year. Amazing. Now, what about the, from from the budgetary standpoint? Because that's what I heard that there, the ability of the sheriff to secure funding for you know a department was stronger than the the fire chief position in most traditional um, cities and counties because that was actually not an elected position per se. So, so it's a little uh, unique. Sheriffs in Florida on the law enforcement side, um, t- typically. Um, you know, receive receive a budget through an appropriations process. They do have uh, the ability, if they disagree with the appropriation, to appeal to the governor and the governor's cabinet, which is unique to Florida uh, constitutional officers, of uh, which the sheriff is is one. Um, on the fire side, um, uh, most most of the uh, the services are provided under direct contract with municipalities so as an example um the city of uh uh deerfield um agrees on a certain service level for their stations and their city that the sheriff's fire rescue will provide and they they agree on a, a contractual dollar amount to that so it's it's more of a fee-for-service model um with uh, on the fire side um and I, I think you know when you when you reference the uh, the ability of, of a sheriff uh, in Florida to, to leverage budget, um, I, I think most people would refer to that as you know there is there is that ability to challenge um, the amount appropriated by the appropriating body um, up to the governor and, and the governor's cabinet. But uh, for the for the most part on the fire side, that's um, it, budget wise, it's it's pretty much a contract service. And, uh, um, you know, being being a, a contract, um, it allows, you know, a, a dollar amount to be established with uh, escalators and, um, you know, service levels and performance levels. So it's um, it's pretty straightforward. Right. So being in that system and obviously being in a system that wasn't that way prior, what would you surmise were the pros and the cons of that particular system that you worked in? Um. You know, I, I think uh, certainly in, in, you know, when we merged, uh, certainly it, it was in a, in a world of, uh, uh, you know, looking at, at 9-11 and post 9-11, um, the, the ability to, uh, to coordinate with law enforcement, um, you know, and we see that not only you know with terrorism domestic terrorism but you know, active shooter um with uh, um, uh, community outreach with so many different areas where um it it makes a, makes for a seamless response if you have pre planning and pre coordination between um law enforcement fire and and, for, and communications all all first responders. Um, so I think that's certainly, um, you know, a, a strength um, that that was was uh, recognized from consolidating public safety services under one one command, one agency, one entity. So, you know, um, 
uh, as you know, South Florida and Florida in general is no stranger to um, hurricane and natural disaster. And that's another great example of just having, uh, you know, all the all the command and uh, incident command in, in the same uh, command center, uh, pre-planning responses, pre-planning um, uh, resource deployment. Um, it, it makes makes for a lot of um, sense when you can do all that on the front end um, rather than having to do it in the middle of a crisis. So I, I think that's the biggest um, um, positive, um, you know, the, from, from a challenge standpoint, I, I think, um, you know, like, like any organization of uh, the sheriff's an elected position. So, um, you know, uh, in my tenure, we've had several different sheriffs and, um, so, but, but I think, you know, from fire standpoint, um, it, it pretty seamlessly functions, um, re- regardless of, uh, who, who the sheriff is. I mean, the mission is, is very clear. It's, it's a contract service. And, uh, it, you know, I, I say all the time, the, uh, the men and women on the front lines, they, they shine, um, day in, day out, you know, with tremendous amount of, uh, training and, and, uh, great equipment and, um, great, uh, great leadership. So, um, I, I, you know, again, I, I get asked all the time if this is a model nationally. I don't know if it works everywhere with some very unique, specific lay of the land um, with the, the county fire department in Broward as unincorporated um, unincorporated areas were uh, being annexed. And um, like I mentioned, you know, having to re-engineer um, the county fire department. So I, I think it's, you know, it was for, for Broward, um, when it happened, it was the right thing at the right time. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's a very interesting model. I know a lot of the Broward firefighters that I'm, you know, friends with seem to like that particular thing. So it's just interesting hearing, you know, a different way of doing things. So thank you for painting the picture. Um, so what I really want to explore now, obviously, is the wellness. So that was something that you seem to be very passionate about early on in your career. So tell me, kind of, when was it that you realized that we had physical and mental health issues in our profession? And when did you, you know, kind of take the reins and trying to be part of the solution for that? Sure. Um, you know, I, I early, early on in my career, um, I did a lot of, um, my, my energy, my focus was, um, and my passion was on, um, on best practices in pre-hospital emergency care. Um, so I, I was very active with, uh, uh, publishing and conference speaking in that realm and served on still do to this day, um, uh, you know, a number of editorial boards, whether that's, uh, uh, UCLA's, uh, pre-hospital care research forum or, uh, uh, gems magazine, EMS magazine, um, and was, was active with the EMS section at the international fire chiefs. And, um, I kind of realized I was getting pigeonholed as an EMS guy, um, and, and wanted to, um, um, broaden my areas of, of expertise within the fire service. And EMS is obviously very important, um, area in the fire service, but I, I kind of felt that I had, um, um, I needed to expand my, my learning and my, um, understanding. So a good friend of mine, um, to this day, um, 
Chief Billy Goldfeder. Many of you know uh, Billy Goldfeder from uh, uh, the Secret List and FirefighterCloseCalls.com. Um, offered me a uh, uh, reached out and, and said they had a vacancy on the International Association of Fire Chiefs um, Safety, Health, and Survival Section Board. Um, and gosh, that was probably about 15 years ago. And um, would I be interested in being appointed to fill the remainder of that term? So um, I, I said, Billy, you know, I trust your your judgment if you think I'd be a good fit. And uh, um, that's what the board ended up doing was was appointing me. And uh, I kind of used that opportunity not only to serve the the members of that section in the International Fire Chiefs Association, but also to kind of delve in um, to where the the state of the fire service was when it came to uh, health and wellness and occupational risk to firefighters. And uh, that's kind of what got me started. And then uh, that evolved my passion. I became very active in the section and uh, uh, speaking across the country on the topic and working with some of the the great minds of researchers that are out there in the, in this country and beyond that we're doing uh, uh, groundbreaking research on the topic. So I, I listened and learned a lot and, uh, and, uh, and then kind of brought some of these practices to Broward to, to tr- implement them and try to see what worked and what didn't work. And um, it's, it's been a, uh, a great, uh, great opportunity to, uh, to hopefully uh, contribute along with a lot of other folks to making the fire service a little bit healthier, a little bit safer, and uh, made a lot of great friends along the way and hopefully do some good. Absolutely. Well, I had Billy on um, episode 249 of the show. He was he was amazing. I, li- I like anyone that can, you know, speak freely. <laughs> he's good at that. He's a, he's a character. <laughs> um, so... Again, without kind of you know preloading the question, what were some of the the health issues that you were seeing? So you know, I, I think um, I've done I've done this presentation. I you know I call it and I've published on it in Fire Engineering Beyond. I call it the three legged stool. Um, but when you look at you know if you dial back um, you know to the seventies to the eighties and look at firefighter fatalities, um, we were losing. Um, you know, a lot of firefighters, um, uh, from, uh, fire ground, um, trauma and injury and death. Um, and, and we, we've done a, a really, we, we've really improved that in a number of different manners. I mean, obviously we're having less fires today. We can probably give a lot of credit to our, uh, folks on community risk reduction and prevention side of the house and code building codes and uh, sprinklers and all the work that we we have done as a service to um, to uh, reduce the risk before um, it, it it strikes um, so with that, uh, the the focus really has kind of shifted looking at the the occupational um, risk that that remains today and when I say remains you know and I think it's it's probably noteworthy to to single out and give credit there's been more research on occupational health of firefighters done in the last decade um, than in the prior two centuries 
So we've got a, a ton of talented researchers out there um, that have dedicated their passion and their their knowledge and wisdom and talents to to helping the fire service learn. Um, and we've got you know some some sources of funding which has helped fund that one that you know whether that's uh, NIH or FEMA, um, CDC, um, Underwriters Laboratory. Um, but what what we've learned is there's really three um, I call it three legs of the stool um, that are that are the occupational risks of modern firefighting. Um, one is. Um, you know, we continue to have um, a prevalence of on-duty. So on-duty, line-of-duty deaths um, are from cardiovascular, sudden cardiovascular events. So we, we know from uh, autopsies, we know from uh, work by Dr. Denise Smith, Stephanos Kales, and others um, that the extreme rigors of firefighting um, causes extreme stress on multiple systems in our body um, that have cardiovascular effects. So that's that's one. Um, the second leg is a stool that you know is really what everyone's talking about in uh, in fire service today. And uh, you know I think it's it's been there for some time. I think we we're shining the light on it now more than ever um, is fire service occupational cancer. Um, we know that from uh, research that's out there that in the general population, um, uh, close to 40% of Americans at some point will, in their life, battle some form of cancer. Uh, the NIOSH study, which uh, looked at 30-some-odd thousand firefighters in, uh, in Philly, Chicago, and San Francisco, um, told us that firefighters have a, a 9% higher rate than general population and unfortunately a 14 percent um, higher mortality rate than general population lar largely because of the you know the carcinogens that were, were exposed to the general population's not so that's that's kind of the second leg of of the stool that continues to be a threat to our health um the third leg um is and let me just let me just say, you know, we're still trying to quantify what what the magnitude of, of the cancer threat is. We're hopeful with the passage into law of the National Cancer Registry. Um, that'll that'll help us better understand how big a problem this is. But, you know, we, we touched on 70 percent of the of the services volunteering um, when, when one of those volunteers dies for cancer. Um, over the years on their death certificate, typically it wasn't firefighter that was listed. It was whatever their, their daytime job was. So um, we're hopeful with the cancer registry, we'll have a better understanding of the magnitude. But, but we know it's large from what we do know now. And then that, that third leg of the stool, um, and it's kind of the same, same, uh, same issue that we have with understanding the magnitude is, is firefighter first responder suicide. Um, you know, we, we hear of them. Um, there's Dr. Jeff Dill and his group that, um, that tracks, but we don't have, we don't really have a uniform national way of, uh, tracking firefighter suicides, but we know from the numbers that, that are out there 
it's it's larger than uh, what are reported as line of duty deaths annually. So it's it's an issue, and it's it's a large issue, and obviously that's the far extreme of behavioral health. Um, we know there's a whole constellation of behavioral health, um, occupational diseases, uh, stress, uh, chemical dependency, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, sleep issues, all, all that can be precursors uh, that people are struggling with um, short of suicide. So um, those are the three. I, I call it a stool because um, one is there, we can work at preventing through uh, re- risk reduction strategies and all of those. Um, but we also know um, what sits on top of the stool in my mind is um, early detection so whether we're talking cardiac cancer or behavioral health, having um, firefighter physicals annually, that, that e- each of those disease processes, there's validated evidence-based tools to identify them early. And we know that uh, the earlier we, we identify, whether it's a cancer, cardiac, or behavioral health issue, and we get intervention started, the better the outcome. So those are really the three, um, as I see it right now, and I think many others agree, uh, that are the the real um, occupational hazards to the health of firefighters and to the survival of firefighters. Yeah. Well, and just to, to tack on to that, so something that I've discussed with you know people from multiple different fields now, um, as a fireman, I know the cardiovascular issue, we always looked at exercise specifically and obviously nutrition is a huge part probably a more important part to be honest with cardiovascular health and then the cancer is definitely the kind of carcinogen um you know clean cab all these kind of discussions that we're having um you know ply events all, all these these great um technological advances that are reducing our exposure to carcinogens and i think those those incentives are all phenomenal as well and then with the mental health the focus has been on what we see like you said whether it's cumulative whether it's acute um but with that stool analogy to me the seat is sleep like you mentioned so sleep deprivation can cause all of those three ill health as well so it's not a sole absolutely not a sole um factor but is is a contributing factor i think as you mentioned we really need to start talking about it a lot more so i agree 100 percent with you know if you're in rural wherever and your department runs one call a week you're probably going to get away with a 2448 you know even though your quality of sleep still not going to be great I can see that fit, but that's not the fire service in so many municipal areas where these men and women are running their ass off for 24 hours a day. So what I want to see, this is my little kind of vision of the world. The Northeast is doing 42 hour work weeks. I think the 2472 should be the industry standard for, I mean, pretty much everyone. If you happen to work somewhere that's quieter, then great. Good for you. But most of us work in very, very busy departments. And I see the sleep deprivation and I've had psychologists saying absolutely sleep deprivation causes mental ill health. Absolutely, it contributes to cancer. Absolutely, it contributes to heart disease, obesity, weight gain, diabetes. So I hope as an industry, we really start looking at that and look at the the budgetary effect too. As you mentioned earlier, if you have good wellness practices, which includes a work week that's actually allows the responder to thrive, you're actually going to save a lot of money on all the medical bills, retirements, deaths that we see in these departments. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely, I mean, you hit on a couple great, great points. Um, one is, you know, there's a lot of interconnected dots. You mentioned, you mentioned uh, sleep being a, a critical one in shift work. Uh, 
Um, but but what I think the research is is continuing to to um, confirm is that um, the interconnected dots of not only sleep but so many other uh, nutrition, uh, physical activity, um, uh, mental wellness um, support. Um, and, and when any of those uh, are off balance, uh, it, it has, um, like any like any high performing machine, the human body is is no different. Any any time it's one element is off balance of your life, um, you typically are get out of homeostasis and uh, puts you at risk. So we we know that you know whether it's sleep or nutrition or lack of good exercise, that, that is linked to um, all three, cancer, cardiac, behavioral health. So so important that we, we have to have a, a total health approach. Um, I was just having this conversation with uh, one of the fire commissioners over in England um, who was looking at whether or not they should implement uh, – uh, saunas for detoxification and the, the pros and cons. And we had some researchers on the call and, um, you know, at the end we had, we had a very healthy discussion about the current research on that. And, uh, but when we got done talking about all the other variables of occupational cancer, you know, sleep, shift work, nutrition, uh, exercise, uh, light exposure, alcohol use, um, obesity, you know, the commissioner said, you know, I, I really think we need to take a time out for a second on saunas and and look at designing a, a total healthy worker approach to cancer reduction. And, and that's really true of almost everything with how we approach health and wellness. That, uh, there's so many variables and sometimes we even just focus on what happens on the job. Um, you know, but, uh, uh, we, we need to have, you know, if you're on 24 and you're, you're doing all the right things for 24 hours and then on your 48 or 72, whatever it may be, um, you know, you, you regress and you, you don't eat right. You don't exercise, you drink too much. Um, you know, that, that has a, a total overall, um, element to, um, wellness disease process and, uh, and then when you come back on shift, um, we add in, you know, the exposures that uh, we know we're going to be faced with, whether that's behavioral exposure or carcinogens or heat stress. Uh, it's a it's a total package. You really have to approach it as a as a wellness initiative. Yeah, no, completely. And, and that's a it's been a, a common denominator with this project. I've always called it a double, you know, two pronged attack. You cannot fix firefighter wellness without ownership from the firefighter themselves or the police officer or the corrections officer or the dispatcher whoever it is that's listening the doctor the nurse but then you also have to create an environment for them to be successful so the administration has to have ownership as well if you have both of those you're going to have you know a very healthy thriving well-trained well-performing department but if you and we've all seen i've personally seen it and been that person that's very very motivated in a very toxic department where the wellness is suppressed and pushed down not only by administration even by the union in this particular example um that's not setting those people up they end up being more stressed and you know the, the mental health decreases and then but then you also have an environment where as you said that this department gets it and they have good initiatives and they understand that and they have let's say for example 2472 but then the firefighters not taking care of themselves at home 
that's on them. So just like COVID, just like the race issue, just like everything else, if you stand on the two extremes and scream at each other, you're never going to get anything achieved. But if you understand that it's a bit of both, I have to own my own stuff and I have to, as a department, create an environment that's going to cause my men and women to thrive, not break down. That is the magic solution, how we're going to really push the needle on on overall health, not only in our professions, but in this country as a whole. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Right. Well, then with the testing, you mentioned about, um, uh, you know, um, the annual tests and, and finding some of these diseases early, early indication, early detection. Um, I can say, hand on my heart, that you mentioned LifeScan. I have done it a couple of times now. I was so, so impressed by what you have. So just to kind of contrast that, the physical that I had for most of my career, I had a, a very good one in, in California for a bit. But then when I came to the Orange County area, it was, you know, the, the sight test, the hearing test, the doctor put his finger where he shouldn't put it. And then you were told you were, you were golden. Um, now that, you know, an understanding with a background of exercise physiology and, and you know, the, the, the history that I have, I could see that we weren't looking at the right factors. We weren't doing the right blood panels. We couldn't tell if there were inflammatory markers or the testosterone was decreased or all these areas that are extremely important. Um, so the takeaways were, in my opinion, more checking boxes and actually having the firefighters wellness as the, you know, the, the most important factor. So tell me about your journey through whatever your, um, annual wellness used to look like and then the genesis of LifeScan and what their philosophy is. Sure. So, um, I kind of, as I mentioned, um, and you mentioned California, we're actually um, servicing a number of departments um, in California with LifeScan wellness physicals. Um, but I, I mentioned I'm the chief strategy officer for LifeScan, but before I, I joined, um, I had um, had uh, some exposure to LifeScan um, from other departments that were using it. I met the um, the CEO of the company at a conference that we were both speaking at, and and I was so impressed. You you mentioned um, you know different variations of um, physical. So um, you know NFPA fifteen eighty two is is really the um, guidance that's out there for what what should at, at least be at minimum um, included in a firefighter physical. Um, and what LifeScan has done is taken um, the NFPA 1582 and NFPA 1583, right? And that's your um, your uh, physical fitness assessment that that surrounds your essential job tasks that we have to perform. Um, it's done by we we do it with an exercise physiologist, um, and, and then we we incorporate um, additional lab markers. And, you know, as as an example, some different uh, lab markers out there that are that are uh, early predictors of disease processes that we want to be um, we want to be trending annually to look for early detection, um, and then we also incorporate um, ultrasound um, imaging um, as part of the the exam. So um, we know uh, I mentioned uh, cardiac deaths in firefighters. We know from the work of Dr. Denise Smith. Um, and others through the Better Heart Project and National Fallen Firefighters Foundation that a large majority of the sudden cardiac deaths in firefighters had 
um, left ventricular enlargement, enlargement of either the left ventricle or the septum of the heart. And, and that can be screened for um, with you know, non-invasive cardiac echo, no radiation. Um, so LifeScan life has incorporated that as part of um, an enhanced NFPA 1582 physical. So um, I, I had the same experience at Broward County. Um, we, we were doing only entry physicals and uh, uh, special operations members received the physical, um, but, but it was not um, by any means comprehensive or, or tailored to early detection. So um, actually working with my, my uh, IFF local and, and union president, uh, Walt Dix, um, brought LifeScan into Broward about 10 years ago and and we have had so many um, early detection success stories in Broward. Um, I, I can't even begin to tell you how powerful they are. I, I mentioned to you before we started recording, um, just this past two weeks, I had uh, one of my 41-year-old captains at Broward um, call me after he went through his annual LifeScan Wellness Center's physical. And it's a three-hour physical. We do, the, we do the lab work ahead of time. And then we have we come on site to to uh, the station or wherever the location, um, with an advanced nurse practitioner, um, an ultrasound technician, and a uh, exercise physiologist. And uh, one hour is spent with the exercise physiologist. They're going through the the full um, NFPA fifteen eighty three assessment of fitness. Again, all revolving around. Uh, the core essential functions that, that we're required to do for our job. Um, also get a resting 12-lead EKG, then a 12-lead EKG stress test. Um, you'll spend an hour then with the ultrasound technician um, doing ultrasound imaging. Um, again, so that's non-invasive, that's no radiation, but looking at the carotid arteries, uh, looking at the thyroid, looking at the uh, aorta, both thoracic and abdominal, uh, looking at that left ventricle, left ventricular function, um, being able to look at um, the abdominal organs and then uh, reproductive organs, so testicular in, in men and and uh, the pelvic cavity in, in women. Um, and then the last hour, um, you'll meet with the nurse practitioner who will do the full NFPA 1582 physical, uh, go over all your uh, your stress test results, your EKG, um, go over your, all your ultrasound imaging, um, go over all your lab work, um, compare your labs to the previous year or years that we've had, your images to the previous years. Um, so it's, it's one of the most comprehensive ones that I'm, I'm aware of out there. Um, and this 41-year-old captain called and said, Chief, I, I got to tell you, I, I'm, I'm so thankful I went to um, my, my physical last week and on ultrasound imaging he was completely asymptomatic uh, a mass was found in, in my bladder and uh, we went back the, the nurse practitioner went back and looked uh, was not there the prior exam uh, on images previously and uh, he was able to call uh, a very well respected um, local chief of urology who wasn't even seeing new patients, but when he heard a uh, firefighter, 41-year-old, asymptomatic, but a mass on imaging of the bladder, said, I'll see you in the morning, um, and uh, turned out it, it's, it's cancer. 
and he's being treated at a local cancer center. But they said, you know what, in, in our experience here, the first asymptomatic bladder cancer that's presented, no blood in the urine, no pain. Um, so it's, it's going to be a, a wonderful early detection success story. Um, and, and that's what LifeScan um, is, is built on, is basically finding um, any type of occupational um, risk or disease um, so early um, that it becomes a, a completely survivable event for the employers, not only the employees healthy, but it saves the employers money because treating cancer or cardiac at early stage, uh, is a lot more, uh, cost effective than, than if we catch it when symptoms are already there or later symptoms. Um, so we, we do this now we're in uh, 25 States. We're seeing 50,000 firefighters and law enforcement officers a year and uh, for me, it's it's just something really to be proud that uh, uh, not only did I help bring it into to Broward, um, but now that I'm able to uh, continue to be, um, you know, involved in the fire service in such a meaningful way, I get calls all the time from from people that are alive today because of early detection, and and to me, there's no greater re- reward than that. And um, LifeScan's been a tremendous friend of the the IFC for many years, and. Um, you know, continuing to do great work around the country. And I appreciate your your kind words. You mentioned you went through it and how comprehensive it, it is. And um, and it's very modest. It's very affordable. It's, uh, you know, I, again, I, I always go back to we wouldn't think of not doing preventative maintenance on our apparatus for the for the amount of money to, to give every firefighter a physical. Um, not only are you going to save lives, but you're actually going to save money by finding things early. So uh, if anyone's interested, um, you know, we've got a ton of information. I know this is, you know, a short uh, amount of time on a podcast, but um, check out check out the website. It's www.lifescanwellness.com. And we've got uh, resources on there for the whole toolbox on there for cancer cardiac behavioral health um, um, talks about you know there's some survivor testimonials and just a lot of good information so um, thanks for giving me the, the opportunity to kind of overview um, and, and sorry I sound so passionate about it but I it's um, you know it's so rewarding I, I tell people all the time um, you know I've got a as you can imagine, a, a bunch of mementos and plaques and challenge coins and f- flags and photos with people um, that that I accumulated over the years. Um, but probably the one that that is most important are these, you know, stories. And uh, you know, I have a hazmat captain that sent me a picture of him with his little girl on his shoulders from we found an aggressive uh, cancer very early in him, uh, thyroid cancer. And, uh, and now this 41 year old captain, those are the, the best, you know, uh, the best mementos of a, of a career, wonderful career because I'm able to help other people, uh, brothers and sisters in the service to, uh, um, do what I did, which is to enjoy a long career and then hopefully, uh, get through into a great retirement. Yeah. Well, thank you for telling that story. That's not by far the, the first story I've heard from LifeScan as well. I'm pretty sure. My memory serves me right. There was an Osceola County fireman who you guys detected cancer in him and that saved his life. Um, and then conversely, I, I know of one, one guy who had life scan and went on to have a heart attack. But let me again be very clear. This was a guy that I worked with personally who 
poo-pooed every single wellness thing we ever did, was obese, was, had the mentality like, well, it's genetic, um, and basically had an MI and drove himself to the ER. So that's the other thing, again, though, that two-pronged attack. We have to understand that if we look in the mirror and we know we're 50 pounds overweight, then that in itself is is a sign as well. So it's not a complete be-all and end-all that you had your scan. The same way as if you go to the, the doctor's office and your blood pressure is 120 over 80, and you're 80 pounds overweight and you're on blood pressure medication, maybe that's not actually your true blood pressure, but you're just being you're being brought down into the metrics by a pharmaceutical, but you actually as an individual have a lot of work to do to get to your innate health that will actually form longevity. Yeah, and, and you know, um, that's a great point. I, I just actually wrote an article for Fire Engineering on personal responsibility. Um, with regards to your health, and, and you you talked about how important it is for leaders to lead um, lead on this issue, um, but but leaders can't do it alone, right? So we um, we all um, there's a tremendous quote that I love uh, included in some of my presentations that um, your your personal health risk um, become all of our personal health risks when you hit the fire ground. And, and that really it resonates with me, right? Because if one of us has an event um, because we haven't done what we need to do uh, to take care of ourselves, and we go down, um, we put a lot of our fellow brothers and sisters in a, in a very bad spot um, at, at, uh, at that time. So it, it, is, it is something that uh, um, it, it takes, as the, the saying is, it takes a whole team approach to be successful with this. So certainly you need the the leadership that has the the vision and the passion to support, but um, you also have to have the buy-in. And, and, you know, quite frankly, I, I think most people want to do the right thing to take care of themselves. It's, you know, I've found um, oftentimes it's, you know, it's either fear or not understanding the implications of, you know, you mentioned blood pressure. Uh, we, we know from firefighters that have, that have died in the line of duty that, um, Poorly controlled blood pressure in a firefighter is 12 times greater risk of a sudden cardiac death. So it's it's not uh, it's not like blood pressure in a teacher or blood pressure in a an attorney or a stockbroker. All very important professions, but our risk places us at much higher um, prevalence of events. So uh, that's I, I think you know I've always I've always uh, taken tried to take the you know, motivate people through uh, education, awareness, and and then provide them the resources to to take the next step. So uh, I think sometimes when when there's a fear of uh, what happens if I you know don't do this, or what happens if my blood pressure is too high, or I am overweight, um, people typically don't respond well to fear. So uh, and I think that's the leader's job is to create a culture um, of of uh, wellness and support and uh, you know we're going to all get healthier and fit and uh, safer together and we're going to do it in a manner that we we bring people along with buy-in as opposed to pushback absolutely I and mean, you know, a lot a lot of my discussions are about that environment whether it's shift work whatever it is and creating that and 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 educating people on how you are set up for failure and how the disruption of the circadian rhythm actually contributes to weight gain and, and blood pressure issues and, and diabetes. However, you also need to look in the mirror 
and you bought your leather helmet and you got a beautifully manicured mustache and you cut the pistol grip off your hose line. But if you can't make it up four stories without gassing out, then we you talk about for them, well, this is the ultimate for them. If you can't even get to the people you're supposed to be rescuing, or as you said, you go down and pull all those resources from saving that family of kids to now saving a down firefighter, just like you highlighted, you have become the absolute antithesis of what we're supposed to be doing. So as an administration, we need ownership, but absolutely as an individual, if your focus is on all the tools and toys and not on your actual physical performance and overall wellness, then you're completely missing the point. I, I, absolutely. I couldn't, couldn't have said it better myself. I, I, I just think it's uh, – it, it gets back to what we were mentioning earlier, that total health approach it can't be it can't be piecemeal i I see so many you know uh you know whether you're talking about tactics and strategy or whether you're talking about uh uh, apparatus design or or new station design if there's not that comprehensive holistic approach typically you're going to miss something and that that same thing applies for our health absolutely well just going on some of the metrics that you find in LifeScan. Um, one of the very startling trends that I've seen recently, and this absolutely, you know, ties in with sleep de- deprivation, sadly, um, is low testosterone in men and women, but obviously very noticeable in men. And I'm seeing an absolute, um, you know, epidemic now of exogenous testosterone prescriptions where, you know, the reality is, A, that's, that's not a great, um, philosophy because you are now literally addicted to that. You're, you're, your genitals basically atrophy when you start taking exogenous testosterone and you're going to be reliant on that for the rest of your life. Um, but the, the changes in sleep patterns, you know, if you change the work week, you can actually reverse those issues, you know, with sleep alone and diet and, and lifting heavy weights and things like that. So what are you seeing? Um, or have you even had the chance to see the trends and, and, and what are you seeing with testosterone specifically in the fire service? So, um, we are, uh, currently when I say we life scan wellness centers is actually, um, engaged in research on this exact topic with, um, Dr. Denise Smith, um, from Skidmore, um, college, uh, first responder exercise physiology lab, um, and from the Illinois state, uh, fire Institute. Um, so we, we started looking with, with her at um, testosterone levels in firefighters um, as part of routine labs that, that we, are, um, we are performing um, as part of the annual firefighter physical. And um, she looked at 500 firefighters, um, both their uh, levels of testosterone um, as well as um, their cardiac echoes so the cardiac imaging of the of the left ventricle and um where she's actually uh in, in coordination with us publishing a paper was just uh, accepted into a journal called andrology a peer-reviewed uh, uh journal on on testosterone um it, it, what what she found was that there's a, a correlation between um lower testosterone levels in male firefighters and uh, changes in uh, cardiovascular structure um, that are identified on uh, on cardiac echo, um, so leading leading to potentially suspect that there's a preclinical um, condition um, that that 
may be able to be identified of firefighters that may be at risk for cardiac issues. So, um, you know, suffice it to say it was, it was 500. Um, a conclusion is a larger sample needs to be um, looked at. Um, and we're also incorporating into that uh, study with uh, several other departments um, looking at testosterone, the cardiac imaging, and then um, calcification scoring. So actually looking at hardening calcification within the coronary vessels and seeing a correlation there. So, um, you know, we touched on sleep and shift work. Um, I, I think we, we, uh, we have enough of a, a window view that there's, um, there's some medical implications of testosterone particularly cardiac-wise in firefighters. And um, we're working real hard to figure out um, exactly what that looks like and what the recommendations should be that come out of it. So, you know, when you you um, alluded to testosterone supplementation, um, you know, I don't believe that's been widely studied in firefighters. Um, and and that's, that's something, um, you know, if you look at the, the literature, there's uh, pros and cons of cardiac risk uh, with supplementation, no, no supplementation with. Uh, so it, it's it's an area um, that that we're focusing on um, very much at, at LifeScan and working with the research community because uh, what the research is telling us is we we need to shine a light on this and we need to better understand it um, and we need to develop recommendations so we can give guidance to the fire service. Absolutely. Well, I had a gentleman, Dr. Kurt Parsley, on the show, who was a Navy SEAL, who um, Navy SEAL during peacetime. So he actually went to med school, came back as their physician, and very long story, very short, found in their blood work. I mean, they were all exhausted and, and, and a host of other symptoms, but their testosterone was completely in the toilet. So he inadvertently found himself researching sleep medicine, and when it came to the ranges that we use. I forget, I need to look it up, but I forget there's a small town somewhere in the northeast where they did the study. It was near one of the Ivy League schools. And the 250, the bottom level, was basically the 80-year-old sedentary man in this town. And then the uh, 850 or whatever the top marker is, was the 18-year-old you know, high school football player. And so when we use the sliding scale now, you get a firefighter who's, you know, let's be honest, should be a somewhat uber athlete in their late 20s, early 30s who's being told that testosterone is fine because it's 300. Well, that's not fine for a 30-year-old, you know, alpha male, um, you know, who's a tactical athlete. So when people kind of understand that, that, that you know, the scale is, is, is kind of bogus in a way, especially at least we need to be looking at the top third as a first responder, um, that's, you know, that's pretty scary. But then the other part of his conversation is episode six on this show, if anyone wants to listen to it, is how he was able to reverse it with sleep alone. So you have these Navy SEALs, the, the some of the most incredible athletes on the planet whose testosterone was in the toilet. So by reversing their lifestyle habits, he was able to make them, you know, put them back to where they needed to be. And then they were thriving as a, as a, a tactician. So that's a very thing for us to understand as well that that we can reverse it without pharmaceuticals if we apply the right environment to these men and women's you know um, uh, shifts so that we can get them back to where they are thriving and that obviously has a knock-on effect with mental health with you know uh, weight gain and all these other areas that we see as well yeah you know that, that again um, getting back to that you know holistic um, you know discussion and approach, 
you know, you mentioned um, tactical athletes and human performance, and and you know, certainly we know um, the researchers tell us that the metabolic equivalents that we need to um, we need to be able to uh, perform at are very similar to professional athletes to perform the essential job functions, and obviously they don't do it in the same heat environment or with the same uh, uh, personal protective gear, but. Um, we also know from from some of the work of Dr. Sarah Jenke that, um, I mean, she's reported that the American Fire Service in general, and I hate to generalize, but her data suggests that the American Fire Service um, has a greater prevalence of obesity than general population. Um, and in that, you know, as you mentioned, obesity can contribute to testosterone um, um, levels as well. Um, and that really, if you're in the fire service, right, shouldn't surprise anyone with, you know, sleep issues and stress and uh, call calls coming in. We, we don't always eat the way we should. So, um, you know, it's it's almost there. There's nothing that we have talked about today or, or likely will talk about that um, it doesn't get back to that, you know, all the dots are connected and in total um, total wellness health is, is really has to be that comprehensive approach that if you're you're missing something on the nutrition side that's going to you're going to pay dearly for it on cardiac cancer front and behavioral health in the same with sleep and uh, hydration and uh, exercise so uh, i'm glad i'm glad you brought that point out because i i hope you know when your listeners are done i, I know you were going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, it's, uh, our, our fire engineering book surviving the fire service but um, we actually struggled with with all the chapters and make, making sure because everything is so interconnected that we we didn't miss leaving anything out and how it's connected so I I hope uh, in the short time we have today your your listeners um, take away that uh, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle to uh, to maintaining um, a healthy and well firefighter yeah, absolutely. Well, one one more area I want to touch on is um, you know, the specific to the female responder. But before I do, you, you mentioned about Sarah's work, and she's been on the show. I'm going to get her on again. She was absolutely hilarious for a start and a wealth of knowledge too. But I think with the statistics, what we also have to take a step back is look at the the grinder. You know, day one of an orientation of you know recruits from a fire academy. This isn't your general population. These are men and women who are far more physically resilient, far more mentally resilient as a whole. I mean, we, we have the anomalies, but usually that's a very, very um, resilient group. So when we look at this is compared to the average person, I think we have to take a step back and go, these should be far healthier than the average person. So what do those statistics really say? You're taking someone who's an elite athlete, technically, or, or you know, a version of, who is now getting sick more often than the average sedentary American. So, you know, when we look at our stats, we have to think about it's not apples to apples. You're taking a very, very resilient person and you're now they're broken, as you said, this kind of obese, fatigued version of their former self. Yeah, ab absolutely. And you, you see the type of characters I get to hang out with, right? Sarah and Billy, and, <laughs> and they're they're my people too. So we share we share allegiance there. <laughs> they they keep me on my toes with their levity. <laughs> no, but they're they're great people and, and great minds. Um, no, I think I think that's that's spot on. I mean the um, 
you know, Sarah's Sarah's done so much work on uh, looking at you know the not only behavioral health but the, the women's health issues, and um, that that's such a uh, uh, an area. Uh, Predominantly because we have so few women in the fire service. I think the last number um, that I saw nationally was five to six percent. Is much of the research that's been done, um, the sample size has been so small in women that it's been hard to make any meaningful conclusions. But Sarah's got some great research um, that that at least is shining a light that we know that there's um, specific unique occupational health issues to, to women in the fire service, both behaviorally as well as, uh, um, I mean, she's got some just amazing uh, reproductive uh, uh, data that's suggesting there's reproductive, uh, maybe genetic uh, issues with firefighting, um, with carcinogen exposure, even in breast milk and how long that remains in the body. So, uh, um, the, the thing to me that's so fascinating is I mentioned it, um, and I, I just have to, can never, whether I'm out to dinner with them or um, just hanging out, I never stop giving so much praise to, to people like Sarah and, uh, and other of our scientific community members that really, um, you know, the old adage of when you get in the service, or I did, I mean, you don't know what you don't know. And, um, you know, now that we're and some of it's still preliminary. I mean, the testosterone's preliminary, but it's shining a bright light on areas that hey, we need to we need to do a better job at uh, looking at uh, the the environments we operate in and and the effects that that has on our body, um, as well as the the service as a whole and what what effects that takes on total um, wellness of our, of our rank and file. Um, so I, I'm just thrilled to be a small part of, I think I serve on some of her advisory boards just to, to give her some fire service input. But, uh, I, I mean, hats off to, to our researchers for, for the work they're doing and, and to the folks who keep funding them. I mean, we, um, we constantly have to battle to get more money for research. Um, you know, you mentioned our Navy SEALs and my hats off to those that, uh, protect this country and our freedoms. Um, but, you know, the military has done a great job with investing in um, research, not only in technology, but in behavioral health and um, on, on wellness. So uh, we need to make sure we continue putting that as a priority. I know it's something I've fought real hard for at the uh, International Fire Chiefs Association, and and uh, we want to keep making sure that uh, there's a pipeline to, to give us the research that we need as, as members of the fire service to keep not only ourselves safe, but um, those we serve with and, and, uh, and, and lead. Absolutely. Well, just as an anecdotal kind of evidence, I guess, um, I have not met a male firefighter yet whose testosterone was any higher than about 300 or so. So I challenge everyone listening just to do their own kind of observational study and Anyone who's willing to give that information that's had any sort of test done recently, find out, you know, what the, the kind of mean is in, in your group, in your circle. Because for me now, I'm retired. I get to sleep every night. My test is, is in the 600s now for the high fives, low six. Um, and I'm not what you'd see as a testosterone charged man. I'm very skinny. You know, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, a big guy by any means. But as that, a 46 year old man with, with 600, that to me is kind of where it should be as an athlete. So, you know, just, just an interesting side note for everyone listening. Look around, ask around, find out. And if you see that trend, 
then that will support the evidence that they're doing in the labs. That's, uh, that's great advice. And uh, I, can, I can speak for, uh, I call it, what are we calling it, the, the COVID-20? Um, you know, but I, I can tell you in, uh, you know, anecdotally, but it's, it's my, uh, my lab work. So I guess, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's a, a population of one for a study, but, um, you know, that, that maintaining that, uh, uh, that balance, nutrition, hydration, uh, you know, the cardio and, and strength training is, is so important because, uh, it, it doesn't take much, right? I think the, the, Medical folks would tell you just putting on, you know, 10% of weight, um, you're going to start seeing changes, uh, you know, in, in a lot of your your lab values, testosterone included, and cholesterol and blood pressure and all the other, you know, things that, that we know are, are part of the equation with protecting us. So it's uh, it's something with, uh, you know, I, I, you know, you know this and your listeners know this. It's a 24/7 job. You know, we say that all the time. Um, even when you've got days off, you're, you're still really, you know, you have to stay committed, tactical. You know, I, I tell the story and I don't even remember, it was one of the nutritionists, the dietitians, maybe speaking at uh, the Redmond Symposium uh, with me, um, you know, talks about, uh, I know I'm probably going to offend someone with this, but T TB12, Tom Brady 12. So um, I apologize if there's some non-Tom Brady fans listening in, but um, he's probably one of many, but Tom Brady's got a, um, you know, a personal nutritionist. So he knows what he's going to have. And he's a, he's a high level, you know, aging tactical athlete. Um, he knows what he's going to have for breakfast, lunch, dinner, uh, a year from now. Um, so there's that level of focus intensity on maintaining, um, that, tactical athlete performance, human performance, whatever we're calling it. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, firefighters have to be that extreme. Um, but, you know, the difference is if Tom Brady um, doesn't, uh, he loses his contract, he may end his career. If we don't, um, we may not come home um, or those that we serve with may not come home. So the, the consequences are um, far um, greater that we we really need to continue placing that emphasis and and again back to the leadership give make sure the tools are there you know the the right tools nutrition is a great example is um, a study you can check this out your listeners uh, it, uh, it's Mediterranean uh, food food and diet in firefighters it's uh, uh, feeding America's bravest is the is the website. And it, it looked at just uh, the Indianapolis Fire Department looked at uh, Dr. Stephanos Kills um, teaching firefighters these are the kind of more healthy foods to gravitate to, and um, as opposed to you know what typically we see at firehouses of high carbs and high sugars, and um, so uh, and, and what an impact that made and makes on overall um, health, cancer-wise, cardiac-wise, behavioral health. So. It gets back to, again, making sure every member of the service has the tools and knows where to find them. And um, for the leaders that are listening, whether you're a company officer or an aspiring officer or chief of department, whatever your leadership role is, is making sure we're getting that information into the hands of our members. You know, an educated uh, fire service is, is nothing more powerful. 
Beautiful. Well, thank you for that. Like I said, coming from from your position, that's incredible. And, and I want to look up the uh, Feeding America's Bravest. I haven't heard of that particular one, but the Engine 2 diet was another one that was successful. That particular one was plant-based. But to me, I think that's a great um, algorithm for disease reversal. It doesn't mean you have to stay away from meat your whole career, but the the you know the success they had with that you know with the the Austin department with his own crew and then with FDNY um, you know all these different areas where they've applied it I know Orange County had a crew that lost a huge amount of weight just using that so whatever it is finding a healthy nutritional alternative that you can do as a crew and get everyone up to speed get you know work out together eat well together I mean like you said that's in our own power yeah, absolutely, and and you know there there's a uh, there's been some studies done. You know, the uh, firefighters. I think it, the study showed you know because of the plant based uh, wasn't as popular. It's same thing with the Mediterranean diet. If you call it the Mediterranean diet, firefighters are generally less inclined to follow it. So the important thing is, I think exactly what you said is, uh, you know, um, everyone has different intrinsic motivation. And, um, the important thing is we have to do something. Um, and, and we know the things we shouldn't be doing. And that's what we touched on briefly, you know, the high sugars, the high carbs, um, the, uh, you know, a lot of processed food and processed meats. And so, uh, we, you know, uh, we, we just need to, but how, how many of us were taught that, right, in, in fire school or officer training or really anywhere? So um, that, that's one of the reasons, quite frankly, um, you know, we wrote the book for fire engineering, Surviving the Fire Service. And there's a whole chapter in there. Uh, Dr. Susie Day from the University of Houston um, is a uh, is a uh, professor of nutrition that works specifically with firefighters. Her son's a firefighter. And. Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's so important to get the information into the hands of the fire service, because I, I think if we've fallen short over the years, that's one area, um, is we haven't really front loaded education on health and wellness. You know, we, and, and unfortunately it's probably greater than the fire service, right? It's probably American medicine as well. We typically are disease driven diagnosis and disease. Um, and haven't completely made the shift uh, to prevention. So, uh, um, you know, it, it's happening in the fire service. It's wonderful. Um, I'm thrilled for the opportunity for folks like yourself to be able to help continue to get the message out. I tell people all the time when I would be talking about health and wellness and safety 20 years ago, 15 years ago, there'd be two people sitting in the audience. Um, today, the room is packed. And when I ask people uh, before I start, um, if you know a friend or a colleague or a member of the service that you've lost from cancer, heart disease, or suicide, stand up. There's not a person in the room that is not standing. So um, the, the fire service is dialed in. They're tuned in. They're, they're ready to, uh, to continue to make themselves healthy and well. We just need to get the information into their hands. Absolutely. All right. Well, then, as a segue, uh, you mentioned Surviving the Fire Service. Where can people find that? So uh, that is published by my uh, dear friend, and he actually wrote one of the forewords of the book. Uh, I'm sure you all know him from uh, not only being the editor of Fire Engineering Magazine, but being the ringmaster uh, of FDIC. And uh, that's that's Chief Bobby Halton. So um, it's published by Fire Engineering um, it is available at fireengineering.com. 
Um, we're giving a portion of the proceeds to benefit uh, uh, National Fallen Firefighters First Responders Center of Excellence, which is focused on cardiac, behavioral health, and cancer research. Um, there are a dozen plus co-authors, um, um, all dear friends of mine that, that are um, just rock stars in um, both the fire service and research of the fire service. Folks like uh, Brian Frieders, who's the president of the Firefighter Cancer Support Network, Sarah Jenke, uh, Dr. Gavin Horn from uh, UL, um, Stephanos Kales, who's at Harvard and done so much work with Denise Smith on cardiac events and firefighters, Frank Lido from the uh, FDNY and their behavioral health unit, uh, Dr. Lori Moore from the IFF and, uh, and numerous others. So we, we basically, um, Adam LaRue, who's uh, Navy SEAL himself and wrote a whole chapter on human performance and tactical athletes. So, um, you know, I had talked about doing this for years and just never had the bandwidth to pull it off. And I finally, you know, had a conversation with Bobby one day and it came to me and uh, said, you know, really, I, I don't need to write the, the whole book. I've got a whole wonderful group of colleagues and friends that are much smarter than myself and doing great work. Um, let me just help pull them all together and organize it. And, and that's, so that's what we did. Bobby said, run with the idea. And uh, we, we put put it together. It's uh, hopefully um, got a ton of information in there that uh, um, if you if you put it to practice, it's going to not only uh, make you healthier and uh, safer. We've got even a, a whole great chapter in then fire ground survival by uh, Chief Jeff Johnson out of Kansas City Fire, now Newport News, Virginia Fire Chief. Um, so that the whole thing is get this book into the hands of even even before recruits, people considering the fire service, so they know exactly um, what are the things they need to be thinking about on day one, all the way through their career into retirement uh, to keep them safe and healthy. Brilliant. Well, actually, I have to be honest, I hadn't heard of this particular one, and even though some of the people writing it, like Sarah, Adam was on the show, Adam LaRue, because he's got O2X as well. Um, so I have to buy myself a copy, so I'm looking forward to reading it. All right, so then transitioning to my first of the closing questions, is there a book written by someone else that you love to recommend? It can be related to what we've discussed today or something completely different. Um, you know, one of the ones that, that I recently read, and, and uh, well, I, I typically gravitate to a lot of uh, leadership books, in particular um, military leadership um, by our, our folks that have served. Um, you know, one that recently was given to me that uh, um, is a great book, and I had the the honor of being interviewed on, on his uh, podcast is Dr. Uh, Richard Gassaway. Um, has a great book out there on situational awareness um, and how to use that uh, to improve uh, overall safety. And, you know, in, interestingly, when we say situational awareness, we think about on the fire ground um, or on any emergency scene, and that's certainly true. Um, but as I mentioned to Rich, um, it also applies to our own health, situational awareness of our own health and wellness status, everything we've talked about today. So that, that was a great read, and I'd recommend that. Brilliant. All right. What about a, a movie and or documentary? These are uh, – that's a, that's a tough one. I have to uh, – I have to say I don't watch a lot of uh, movies or uh, documentaries. I, I – am a uh, a very much a uh, 
a news buff, so I, I try to stay up on uh, all the breaking news. And my wife will drag me to an occasional uh, movie, and um, I'm usually surfing on Twitter or social media during the movie. So I'm, I'm going to take a pass on that one. Did you see Backdraft too? I did see Backdraft. Yes, yes. I saw Ladder Ladder Forty Nine. I mean. All, all the uh, compulsory fire ones, I've I've uh, certainly made it a point to uh, to catch. But uh, in, in general, I'm glued to uh, to uh, and it's it's probably like my social media uh, fixation. It's it's something I probably need to break myself, and I'm working on it. I, I had uh, that's work recently with uh, a tremendous colleague friend dr donnie hutchinson who's uh, um done uh, his his effort in and work on work-life balance for uh, firefighters and first responders so that's that's one area i'm still working on okay did you see the sequel to backdraft though backdraft 2 i don't know if i saw backdraft 2 yeah i wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> That's if you one. value yes. your time with with movies, Only the Brave is an absolute amazing movie. That would be if you haven't seen that, I'd absolutely recommend that as a firefighter. Fantastic, movie. fantastic. <laughs> All right. Um, next question: Is there a person that you recommend to come on the podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military, and associated professions of the world? Yeah, you know, I I just mentioned uh, Donnie Hutchinson. Um, Dr. Hutchinson um, is a not only a university professor, but he's written several books um, on uh, work-life balance for first responders and uh, the importance and how that ties in not only to um, physical wellness, but also to uh, mental and behavioral wellness. And um, his uh, son is a, is a combat veteran with the 82nd Airborne that's now going through fire school and um, he's spoken at uh, the ALTS conference for the IFF uh, a number of years, and I've had the, the pleasure of uh, being on his podcast and actually speaking with him at uh, conferences. So uh, I think that that's one area probably that uh, um, not a lot of attention has been paid to. And um, I know most firefighters like myself are, are type A and um, you know, we, we charge real hard to get the job done, but sometimes we have trouble unplugging. And I think that, uh, that would be great opportunity for him to, to share some insights with your, uh, your listeners. Beautiful. Well, thank you. I haven't heard him recommend it before, so I'll definitely look into his work. The, the last question before we make sure everyone knows how to find you, how do you decompress? And that's, that's the whole work-life balance, um, issue and um you know i'll be the first to say i need to personally uh do a better job at it um you know one of the one of the challenges particularly um you know as a as a senior level chief over the years now as a senior level executive with a a rapidly growing um company focusing on first responders um you know it's 24 7 i mean to do the job right um, you have to be there, um, 24 seven, whether that's one of your firefighters who's in the hospital, whether there's a family issue, whether there's whatever, whatever the crisis is that, um, the, the right thing to do is to, is to be there and to let your employees know that you're there for them and, and, uh, their needs and their family. So, um, unplugging is, is always a challenge, um, for me, it's finding um, some just personal space um, to spend time with family, um, to 
change environments. Um, you know, golf is is a uh, um, is a passion that I've I've tried to you know take a couple hours and um, get together with friends and and be able to decompress on the golf course outside of work um, and, and have some type of outside of the job. Um, interest and, and ideally with with family um, a, as well, um, you know. And, and I think you know the importance of relationships, whether that's on the job or off the job. Those are the um, the strengths that give you strength. Um, you know, a, a wise mentor of mine um, told me as a young chief, you know, people um, will not remember um, what your accomplishments were, um, but what they will remember is how you treated them. And, and I think that goes to speak about relationships. So um, I, I think strengthening relationships, personal and friends, and um, having you know folks that you can talk to, and and the as I alluded to a couple times, uh, you know I think a challenge in today's world is uh, um, hyper communication. So um, social media is, is very powerful. Podcasts. 24-7 news cycle. So finding opportunities to kind of unplug from those. And, and for me, that's a challenge. You know, as I mentioned, um, um, you know, I'm kind of a news junkie. And um, Bobby uh, Bobby got me started on uh, Twitter. And, and I tweet all day with, you know, fire service, health and wellness and um, breaking news in the fire service. So it's it's a challenge, but it's it's one that we need to be mindful of. And that, that's frankly why I recommended a uh, Dr. Donnie Hutchinson is, is maybe be a great guest for your viewers because I know other uh, colleagues and brothers and sisters in the service struggle with the same. Absolutely. Well, just with, with the movie, I've got one I totally forgot to recommend, but you mentioned about social media a lot. There is a brand new documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. Extremely well done. I haven't met a person yet that wasn't blown away by it, but it, it basically details really how a lot of these platforms started you know, with, with a good intention, with connecting people. But then when that, that element came in where they were trying to, you know, push advertising and those kind of areas, that it shifted a little bit. And it wasn't through any, like, um, there was no, no, um, God, what's the right word? Malice behind it. It was just, it was just, you know, them trying to make money. But the people talking, a lot of them were the engineers and founders of these platforms that we use. So it's not a bunch of, you know, like conspiracy theorists talking about stuff. It's extremely well done. So I highly, highly recommend watching that, The Social Dilemma. Excellent. That will take you up on that. Thank you for recommending that. No problem. All right. So then the very last thing before we let you go, when if you want to find you on Twitter or anywhere else online, where are the best places to, to look? Uh, so I'll... Twitter is, uh, I'm, I'm very active on Twitter, as I mentioned, uh, Todd, T-O-D-D-J, uh, LeDuc, L-E, capital D-U-C. Um, you can send me a direct message. Um, I'm on LinkedIn under that same, um, under that same uh, uh, ID. And, uh, and then you can, you can feel free to uh, email me at uh, Todd, again, T-O-D-D, dot, Laduc, L-E, capital D-U-C, at lifescanwellness.com. And uh, I'm very diligent about getting back as quickly as possible. So uh, please uh, feel free to, to reach out if there's anything that uh, I can get you more information on or help with. I'll give you any insights. Uh, I, I love hearing from uh, 
colleagues in the service. Brilliant. And then LifeScan is lifescanwellness.com as well. Yes, it is. Beautiful. All right. Well, Todd, I want to say thank you so much. It's been such a great conversation to get your perspective, you know, whether it's, you know, your journey through the fire service, whether it's your position with the IAFC and all these other organizations that you've been a part of. But, you know, this, this conversation on wellness needs to keep happening. As you said, there's no magic pill, but the more of us that talk, the more these lines intersect, the more we find these truths that we're seeing. So thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for um, for your podcast and the work that you do. And um, to all your listeners out there, stay well, stay safe. And uh, uh, thank you for, for the time of uh, the generosity of your time and listening. And uh, uh, look forward to talking to you again. <laughs>